hand. If you have your Bible, turn with me, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, a very familiar verse of Scripture. I want to preach to you tonight from a, a, a text that you've probably heard. Most of you can quote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, you know the Scripture, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. I want to preach from this thought, the foundation of worship. The foundation of worship. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost that I feel in this house on a Sunday night. I thank you, Lord, for the journey that you've been taking this church on, Lord. It is indeed a new season, and Lord, you have been touching us. You've been speaking to us. You've been moving us every service, every week, one step closer to what you want us to be. And I believe, Lord, that great things are on the horizon for this church. And I'm asking, Lord, tonight that you would empower me, that you would anoint me, Lord, to deliver the word that you placed in my heart for this service tonight. Lord, that as a people, before we leave this place tonight, we could get closer to you and closer to what you have called us to be, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. One of the foundational laws of biblical study is the law of first mention. You may have heard me talk about it previously sometimes in our expository studies. I'll bring it up, but essentially it states that since the whole Bible has only one author, that author knows the end from the beginning. Before he ever began to write, before he ever began to move upon holy men of old to write the words that we consider to be the holy word of God, from the very beginning, he structured the words that were written in a way that they would forecast from the outset everything that was to follow. Every serious student of the Bible knows that when you first encounter a new idea or a new concept or a new word in Scripture, you can discern a lot from its setting and associations about how the Bible is going to view that word or that subject throughout the entirety of Scripture. That works by divine inspiration. There may be many books in the Bible, but there's only one author. They may have been written in many different periods of history, but only one God moved upon those men to record God's word under his inspiration. Because of that, the way that a word is used in Genesis gives great insight into how the word will be understood in the epistles. Amen. It is a fundamental tool in interpreting the word of God. For instance, the first use of the word prophecy or a prophecy in scripture, the first prophecy that occurs in the Bible occurs in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. And it foretells the coming of Jesus. And that first prophecy establishes several key understandings of how God will use prophecy throughout the Bible. First of all, that first prophecy comes after the fall of man. And all prophecy that follows that will work in the same manner 
uh, throughout Scripture, prophets and prophecies will not come during the normal state of affairs, but they will always show up in the shadow of human failure when things begin to break down, when things begin to fall apart, when judgment is on the horizon. That's when the prophet shows up. That's when the prophecy is given. Secondly, biblical prophecy always points towards the Redeemer. That first prophecy pointed to Jesus Christ. Prophecy in the Bible doesn't just forecast gloom and doom and despair. It always has an element of hope in it. It always has an element of the Redeemer in it. The first mention of blood in Scripture is the same way. It it comes in Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, Cain murders Abel. And there's a lot to be learned from the utterance of God when he comes to Cain and he says to him, Thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. You see, Abel was a shepherd. He was innocent, but his brother despised him. And Abel died a violent death. And afterwards, his blood cried out to God. We see a wonderful parallel there to the good shepherd who was hated by his brethren and crucified by violent, wicked men. His blood, too, cries out. Hebrews says that it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. We learn very quickly the incredible significance of blood from that first mention of the word blood in the word of God this evening I want to draw your attention to the first mention of the word worship worship is first mentioned in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis and once again the context is very important the word worship is introduced to us by Abraham And Abraham uses that word as he and his precious son Isaac are preparing to make the long, lonely trek up Mount Moriah. God has called Abraham to do a very difficult thing. God has commanded Abraham to take his son, his only son, his hope of all of his future, the very treasure of his heart and offer him as a sacrifice unto God. Abraham has gathered the tools of sacrifice. He has the wood for the fire, the knife for the shedding of the blood, the ropes to bind the sacrifice to the altar. And on the third day of his journey, he arrives at the foot of the mountain that God has told him to go to. And as he transfers the wood to his boy's back, and as he gathers the knife into his hand, and as he gets ready to go up that mountain to offer sacrifice unto God, he tells his servant. You wait here. The lad and I are going to yonder mountain to worship God. That's the context in which God introduces the idea of worship. We call it sacrifice, but Abraham called it worship. 
that tells us a whole lot about worship. The first mention of worship, the foundational understanding of worship is drastically different from our concept of what worship is. When we say worship, we think of a praise band. When we say worship, we think of a group of singers. When we say worship, we think about a worship cheerleader that is, that is trying to get us to say good things about God and magnify God, that singing joyful songs about the love of God. But that's not how Abraham perceived worship. As far as Abraham was concerned, worship was the act of giving God the most precious thing in his life. Abraham understood what God was asking from him. Abraham realized what this was all about. It was about so much more than just his son. Abraham understood that God was asking him to surrender everything in his life to him. All of his hopes were invested in Isaac. His future was contained in that boy. Everything that mattered to Abraham was walking in shoe leather beside him that day that he started up that mountain. God required a sacrifice. Let me tell you something about Abraham. He didn't view it as a burdensome request. He didn't look at it as if God was overreaching his bounds. He didn't approach it as an obligatory gesture. Abraham said, the boy and I, we're going to go to yonder mountain to worship God. This is worship. You see, Abraham had a peace about the whole thing. We don't ever see him panic. We don't ever see him get all worked up. If, we, if this had happened earlier in Abraham's life, if this had happened years prior, we might have seen a different Abraham. But at this point in Abraham's life, Abraham has learned that he can trust God. He knows at this point in his life that no matter what God requires from him, God is going to keep his promise. And Abraham knows exactly what he's getting ready to do. He's going to walk up that mountain and he's going to worship God. He's about to give God the most prized treasure in his life. He's about to demonstrate in the most convincing way possible that he worships God above everything else in his life. Everything is secondary to his worship. To Abraham, sacrifice was the most fundamental element of what it means to worship God. When you boiled it all down, worship meant giving God your very best. Let's stay in the same geographic location. There on that lonely hilltop called Mount Moriah. But let's fast forward through time to a day that occurred over 600 years later. David was the king of the nation of Israel, that mighty nation that God promised to bring forth out of the lineage of Abraham. And this day that we're going to comes after David had been provoked by Satan to number the children of Israel. Essentially, David put his confidence in the strength of his armies instead of in the mighty hand of God. And God reacted by causing a great plague to sweep through the land and decimate 
David's armies. The scripture tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared beside a threshing floor on that same mountaintop where Abraham offered Isaac. And from that perch, he began to bring judgment upon the people of God. And once David understood his wrong, and once he came to the Lord in repentance, under divine instruction, he went to that threshing floor to offer a sacrifice unto God. He recognized that he needed to reestablish the preeminence of God in his life. And the only way to do that was through worship. So David went to the threshing floor, which was privately owned by an individual. And when that man realized that the king wanted to offer a sacrifice on his threshing floor, he offered to give the whole thing to David. He said, I'll I'll give you the threshing floor. I'll give you the land on which it sits. I'll give you the threshing instruments for wood. And I'll give you the oxen for a sacrifice. I'll give the whole thing to you. But David's response shows us the way he viewed worship was the same as the way that Abraham viewed worship. Because David said, no, I will not offer unto God a burnt offering that did not cost me anything. I'm going to pay you for what I'm going to take from you. I'm going to pay you for the threshing floor. I'm going to pay you for the land that lies under it. I'm going to pay you for the threshing instruments. I'm going to pay you for the oxen because I came here to worship God. Uh, This is about more than just stopping the hand of destruction. This is about reestablishing the fact that God is the Lord of my life. This is about worship. This is about sacrifice. And I will not offer a cheap sacrifice unto God. I will not give God something that is not precious to me. And on the same ground where Abraham offered Isaac, David recognized that the fundamental element of true worship is sacrifice. And he said, I will not make a cheap sacrifice unto God. I'm not going to shortchange God. I'm not looking for an easy way out of my obligation to God. I'm not looking for a way that I can cut corners. I'm not interested uh, in sidestepping the cost uh, of sacrifice because I came to worship God. Other kings in Israel's history would choose the easy road. Other kings uh, would make worship an obligation, a duty that they despised, but not David. David understood uh, that sacrifice uh, is the foundation of worship. uh, And he joined his voice with Abraham and said, I'm going to give God my very best. I'm going to offer to God the very treasure of my heart. I won't hold anything back. A generation later, King Solomon would set out to build the temple of God, a house of worship for God to dwell in. And when Solomon got ready to lay the foundation of that much-anticipated temple, where do you think he laid it? He went to that same hallowed ground 
where Abraham offered Isaac, where David established the true meaning of worship and that temple that was the centerpiece of all Old Testament worship. Everything revolved around that temple. Its glory was celebrated around the world as the God of David and the God of Abraham was exalted above every other God. But I want you to understand that temple was built on a foundation of sacrifice. What I want you to grasp this evening is that Solomon built the temple on land that was legendary because of the sacrifices that were made there. The foundation of worship. The foundation of the temple was sacrifice. The whole centerpiece of worship in the Old Testament was established on generations of sacrifice. And for years to follow, the skies over Mount Moriah would hang dark and heavy with the cloud of smoke that rose from the burnt offerings that were offered daily on a brazen altar in that temple. And that smoke would serve as a continual reminder. Worship is about sacrifice. The very act of worship would always center around sacrifice. The very act of worship would forever be perceived as giving to God your very best. The lambs that were placed on that sacrificial fire were the very best that Israel had to offer. They didn't bring the lame. They didn't bring the sick. They didn't bring the infirm. They didn't bring those with defects unto God. They selected the very best that they had because worship was about sacrifice. It was about giving to God your very best. So when Paul addresses the subject of worship in the New Testament, we shouldn't be surprised at all to find him talking about living sacrifices. Paul's view of worship was the same as Abraham's. It was the same as David's. It was the same as Solomon's. Worship is about sacrifice. I want to take a brief few minutes on this Sunday evening and give an exposition of Romans 12 and 1 just to bring home the point. I'm not going to deal with every verse like I do on Sunday mornings or every word of, every, of the verse like I do on Sunday mornings, but I, I'm going to deal with just very specific principles that are contained here. And if, if it's okay with you, I want to approach the verse backwards. Brother Dennis, if you got it on the screen behind me, I'll, Romans 12, I want to start with the last phrase because the last phrase is, is where I want to establish my first point. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The proper interpretation of the Greek word that is rendered as service in the King James Version is a subject of dispute among scholars. The Greek word that is commonly referred, or that is placed there, is commonly used to refer to ritual worship. It's used that way by Paul in every other occasion that he uses it. 
there is no dispute that the word means worship. The dispute between the translation of the word as service, as it's rendered in the King James Version, and the translation of the word as worship, as it's rendered in many modern translations, centers around the meaning of the word worship. Some view worship as something that happens in a church house, in a formal worship setting. And those who view worship as something that is contained in a formal worship setting feel that the way, feel that, that to translate the word as worship is too restrictive of a translation. Because Paul is obviously talking about more than, than what goes on in the church house. He said, I beseech you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. So it's obvious that he means more than just what goes on in a formal worship setting. And so those that view worship as something that happens in a formal worship setting believe that Worship is too restrictive of a translation of the Greek word because in their minds it doesn't encompass the other acts of Christian service that take place in our day-to-day living. That's the reason why the King James translators chose the word service instead of the word worship. They lived in an age where worship was seen as the stuff that happens in a church house as the stuff that happens in a formal worship setting before the preaching of the word. It's, it's the stuff that happens after you come through the door and, and, the, and the, the, the service leader starts the service uh, and, and before the preacher preaches. It's that, that stuff that happens in that 30-minute span of time uh, that you can put on your calendar. It's going to happen from 7 to 7.30 on Wednesday night. It's going to happen from 10 to 10.30 on Sunday morning. And it's going to happen from 6 uh, to 6.30 on Sunday night and it's going to happen like clockwork every week, week in and week out. And so they said if you translate the word as worship, you're going to restrict it to those periods of time when we're in the church house and that obviously isn't what Paul meant. I believe it's a, it represents a fundamental misunderstanding of what worship really is. You see, worship is something that you do with your whole life. Worship is something that you do with all of your living. Worship is never intended to have been limited to a half hour before the preacher preaches. Worship was never intended to be something that's limited to just a a segment of time in your calendar that happens three times a week. That was never what worship was meant to be. Don't get me wrong. Church worship is important. Corporate worship matters. It doesn't need to be neglected. You need to be in the house of God. You need to be among the people of God. You need to worship with your brothers and sisters in the church. It really does matter. But worship is a whole lot bigger than that. Worship is a whole lot bigger than what happens in a church house on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Worship is a way of life problem with limiting worship to scheduled interludes on Sundays and Wednesdays is that it becomes an obligation. 
And when worship becomes a time slot in your busy schedule or a performance that you have to participate in, it becomes a chore. It becomes another job that you do. It becomes an obligatory effort, something that you do half-heartedly. Your words may praise Him. The songs and the worship may exalt Him. But your heart drifts away while you worship the Lord because worship was never intended to be a block of time on your calendar. Worship is about your whole life. Every element of Christian service is worship. Everything that we do in our day-to-day living is worship unto God. I submit to you tonight the humble truth that service isn't really service until it becomes worship. Service isn't really service unto God until it becomes worship unto God. So the English Standard Version renders the verse this way. It says spiritual worship. The NSAB renders it this way. It says spiritual service of worship, trying to encompass both ideas. The NIV simply says proper worship. What I want to underscore to you tonight is Paul's talking about worship. He's talking about what we offer unto God as praise unto him. And this is how Paul views worship. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's how Paul views worship it's a sacrifice it's a living sacrifice paul says that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto god the word sacrifice that's used here is the common word that's used for an animal or a thing that is being offered up to god in ritual worship the language of the verse is intended to evoke, invoke the imagery of Old Testament worship where they brought their lambs, their turtle doves, their bullocks, their rams, their grain offerings, and they offered them unto God. But Paul draws a stark contrast between New Testament offerings and Old Testament offerings. He draws a a stark contrast between worship in the New Testament church uh, and worship in the Old Testament church uh, because those things that were offered to God in the Old Testament, they died. But those things that are offered to God in the New Testament continue to live. That's where we see the final application of Abraham's view of worship. Because that lad that he carried up the mountain that day to be offered unto God as a sacrifice didn't die. Abraham went so far as to place him on an altar prepare the wood around him. I don't know, some would some argue about whether or not Abraham had to tie him to the altar if, or if Isaac went willingly. It really doesn't matter. Abraham committed him unto God and he went so far as to draw back the knife. Listen to me. Abraham was so committed to the sacrifice that the writer of Hebrews actually says that Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. He was already dead as far as Abraham was concerned. He was already, it was done. 
he was offering his son to God. But by the wonderful mercies of God, that which was offered as a sacrifice unto God in that first example of worship became essentially the first living sacrifice because that boy walked back down that mountain with a life that had literally been given to him by God. Abraham received his son back from the dead. Likewise, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Or he said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul said, I, I no longer live in the sense that I control my life, uh, but I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, I have denied myself. Uh, I've given to God my very best. Uh, I brought him everything that I have. Uh, I gave him the treasure of my heart. I gave him my hopes and my dreams uh, and my future. I surrendered everything to God. And now I live in Jesus Christ. My life is a living sacrifice unto God. I come to this pulpit tonight to tell somebody under the sound of my voice that worship is about more than what we do in the brief moments of time before the preacher preaches. Worship is about more than a song that you've sung a million times, a song that you know so well you could sing it in your sleep. Worship is about more than just setting things on autopilot and getting through another. Sunday night service. Worship is about sacrifice. Worship is about surrendering to God the very best that you have in your life. Worship cannot be contained in a single segment of time on a Sunday afternoon. Worship encompasses your whole life. Everything that you do is worship. God forbid that we allow ourselves to get to the place where worship becomes an obligation. God forbid that we allow ourselves to get to the place where worship becomes a habit. Worship should be a lifestyle. Worship should be a way that you live. Worship should involve every your life. Worship should be something that you do unto God in everything that you do, in every way that you can. Worship. Give me a minute while I sacrifice this microphone. That thing's been acting up all night long, and it's just cut out on me for the last time. I need some more cord, or I'm going to be really just pull real hard. Say, God bless him, and the plant too. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody lift your hands and worship God right now. The life that you live is not your own. The life that you live belongs to God. You were crucified with Christ. You see, you walked up that mountain to Calvary with your very best offering in your hands. Uh, you offered to God uh, the treasure of your heart, the most valuable thing that you had. You gave him yourself. Uh, you didn't hold anything back on that day. You didn't keep anything in reserve on that day. There wasn't anything that you kept for yourself uh, on that day. You gave God your very best. 
And what should have died on that mountain of worship was instead preserved by the grace of God. And you walk back down that mountain with a life that was not your own. It was given to you by God. You surrendered everything to him. But you received your life back from the dead. And now Paul implores us to be careful with what we do with that life. Present our bodies unto God as a living sacrifice. It was offered in sacrifice unto God. You, you gave your life to him. You gave your heart to him. You gave your all to him. Who are you to take back from God what you've already given to God? What Paul is pleading with you to do is to give your very best to God. That's what worship meant to Abraham. That's what worship meant to David. That's what worship meant to Solomon. That's what worship meant to Paul. And that better be what worship means to us. Uh, it meant that you offer a living sacrifice unto God. What does a living sacrifice look like? It's about eyes that refuse to look upon evil with pleasure. It's about a tongue that refuses to participate in immoral conversations. It's about hands that refuse to become involved in any type of sin. It's about a life that is lived as worship unto God. Sometimes we get too familiar with things that we know we shouldn't be involved in. Sometimes we cozy up right up next to things that we know we shouldn't have a part in. I've come to tell you tonight, uh, the foundation of worship uh, is giving your life to God. It's not about what you do on a Sunday morning. It's not about what you do on a Sunday night. It's not about clapping your hands and lifting your voice and running the aisles and dancing and shouting. It's about how you live your life. It's about giving to God your very best in everything that you do, everywhere that you are, no matter who's watching. It's about living for God. Paul said that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Listen to your pastor. Worship is not just spiritual. Worship is involves your body. Some translations attempt to diminish the strength of Paul's words here by translating this as offer yourselves to God. That's a much more general kind of command. It's easier to swallow. But that's not what Paul said. That's not what Paul meant. Paul knows how to write the words offer yourselves unto God because he wrote them in Romans 6 and 13. This is Romans 12 and 1. Paul's not saying offer yourselves unto God. He's saying offer your bodies unto God as a living sacrifice. Worship isn't just a bunch of spiritual stuff that play, takes place in heavenly places. Worship is about what you do with your body. Oh, I know that's uncomfortable kind of preaching. Well, listen to me. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It matters how you dress. It matters where you go. It matters what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. It matters what you do with your physical body. 
That's not my word. That's Bible. Listen to how Paul says you should present your bodies. Holy and acceptable unto God. The word holy means to be set apart unto God. That is exactly what a sacrifice is. A, ha a sacrifice is something that is set apart unto God. It belongs to God. When they took the lamb that they were going to offer, so they, didn't, they didn't go out the morning of sacrifice and pick the lamb. That lamb was groomed. They took that lamb from birth, and they set it apart. The rest of the lambs went in that pen. But this lamb goes over here in this pen. And this lamb isn't like those lambs. We examine this lamb. We watch this lamb. We care for this lamb. Because this lamb belongs to God. The other lambs play in the pasture. The other lambs go and they, they run with the rams sometimes. And they do, they do whatever they do. But this lamb, this pinned up lamb, this separated lamb, this set apart lamb, when it gets of age, one year old, we're taking it to the temple and it's going to atone for the sins of, of my whole family. That's what it means to be set apart. It means I approach my life in the same way. I got to put up some fences sometimes. I got to put up some barriers sometimes. I got to draw some lines sometimes. I got to have a backbone and say, there's some things I won't do. There's some places I won't go. There's some things I'm not going to be a part of because this was sacrificed unto God. Oh, I know that's uncomfortable kind of preaching, but that's the truth, my friend. Holy. Paul says you need to live your life. As if your life has been set apart under God. As if it's been pinned up somewhere and separated from everything else in the world. You've got to set your life. You've got to set your body apart. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy. Can I tell you something? Holiness still matters. It's not just an antiquated, outdated term that used to go around my grandpas and my grandmas. It still matters what you do with your actual life. I said, preacher, get out of my business. That's okay. Either I'm going to get in your business or God's going to get in your business. Because it matters how you live your life. Finally, the sacrifice of our bodies is, according to Scripture, supposed to be acceptable unto God. That means pleasing to God. When we separate ourselves unto God, we offer our lives as a sacrifice of worship to Him, and God finds that pleasing. The terminology used here harkens back to the offerings that were offered on the altars of the Old Testament. And the Scripture testifies that those, altar, those offerings offered a sweet-smelling savor, an aroma that was pleasing unto God. The smell of that burnt offering went up into the heavens and it was pleasing unto God. That's what Paul is saying. That's the way your life ought to be. There ought to be something about your life that is a constant aroma in the heavens uh, that goes forth in your life that is pleasing unto God. A continual sweet smelling offering. Not just when you're at church. Not just when you're in the church house. Not just when you're around the people of God. Not just whenever somebody's watching. Everywhere you go. Everything you do. Because worship is about giving yourself to God. It's about offering your very best.
to God. It's about sacrifice. The words of a songwriter sometimes say it better than I can. The song says, The room grew still as she made her way to Jesus. She stumbles through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain, some spoke in anger, heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. We tend to think of it as extraordinary worship. We tend to think of it as something that was above and behind. But I want you to know heaven viewed it as true worship. When she came into that room, she carried in her hands uh, the one thing uh, that was most precious to her of all of her possessions. Uh, She gave him her best. She gave him everything that she had. That which was most valuable to her. That was her sacrifice. That was worship. That's what it means to give your life to God. Worship's never cheap. They tell me that alabaster box contained a year's worth of wages. And precious ointment. It's never cheap. You can't satisfy the command to worship God on the discount aisles of life. You do yourself no favors when you look for shortcuts in your service to God. You do yourself no favors when you look for ways that you can cut corners in your devotion to God. Worship is sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. Because that's exactly what God requires from you. Sacrifice. Would you stand with me? Sister Renee, would you come with the music?